Amen. Well, this morning we are going to finish up our series on Romans, which I'm uh, excited about. It's been really just enlightening for me and, and a really wonderful journey going through Romans over the last few weeks. I want to remind you, um, in case you don't know, or, or remind those who heard last week, but on Sunday, August 6th, so in two Sundays, we're going to have a, a time before church um, where you will be able to come and, and discuss Romans if you would like. It'll be kind of a sermon talkback session, and unfortunately, I won't be there uh, because I'm heading out for my um, extended break, my sabbatical that I get every three years, and so Laura and Kai and I are going to be heading out for a month, and so you won't see me here for a bit, uh, but you all will be in wonderful hands. Um, there are great people here who will look out for you, um, as they always do. Um, so I won't be there in two weeks on the 6th, but Dustin and Logan are going to be leading a time um, of just coming and talking about Romans. So if things have come up for you and questions, ideas, if you have verses you want to talk about, then that's your time to do that. And so you don't have to RSVP or anything. You can just show up. And it'll be on August 6th um, before church at 9 a.m. So we're wrapping up our series on Romans today. Last week, if you were here or listened to it, you might remember this, but the message was all have sinned. All have sinned. We looked at Romans 3.23 where Paul says, all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And we, we were able to talk about and hopefully see that when we recognize that all of us have sinned, including ourselves, then it can actually be a little bit liberating and freeing for us because we recognize that uh, we're all kind of in this together and nobody is any better than anybody else. We recognize that we've all sinned, we all have our own issues, that all of us need grace, and when we can see that, then it's a lot easier for us to be accepting and less judgmental of other people. Because if I'm willing to say I got problems, then it's easier for me to show grace and love and acceptance to somebody else and not focus so much on their problems. The message for this week is similar but different. It is all are loved. So last week was all have sinned, and this week the message is all are loved. I think when we know that we are loved, no matter what, I like to talk about the no matter whatness of God's love. If we realize that we are loved by God no matter what, then it's a lot easier for us to acknowledge our brokenness and our sinfulness in our lives. It's a lot easier for us to bring our full self to our church community because we recognize that we are loved no matter what, that we still belong. I want you all to remember that Romans was written to this diverse group of house churches in the capital city of the empire in Rome. And these were house churches that were very diverse, and they were struggling to find unity together. They were struggling to stick with one another. Paul's mission, Paul's like overarching big mission was to establish diverse churches all across the Roman Empire that's made up of people from all different walks of life. And particularly, he had a calling to bring together Gentile and Jewish Christians into the same church community. But he knew that if he was going to accomplish that goal of creating these diverse churches, he had to convince these groups that they actually did belong together and that they weren't actually at odds with one another. In Romans 15.7, we really find, I think, Paul's main purpose in writing this letter. And it's Romans 15.17. He says, welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So Paul wanted these two groups of people who were struggling to get along 
to welcome and love one another, to accept one another without forcing each other to change. He basically wanted these two groups to build a home together, to build a family together in the midst of the kind of violent and harsh Roman Empire. Well, it was actually really hard for a lot of folks in the early church to find a home. And so the church was meant to be that place, to build a home together where they all had a place, they all had a seat at the table, and everybody was welcome and accepted. And I think if, and Paul, I think, got this. He, he knew that if these early Christians could understand how much God loved and accepted them, then it may just be possible for them to love and accept each other. Because when we know that God accepts us for everything that we are, then it's a lot easier, I think, for us to offer that same kind of acceptance to other people. So I want to read these verses from Romans chapter 8, which you could argue this is kind of like some of the heart of the letter right here. And, and you've heard some of this. These are like powerful words. But Paul says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, these are like powerful verses. And these verses have meant a lot to me in my life. Because of Jesus and Paul's encounter with Jesus, Paul became convinced of the radical love of God. His view of God, I imagine, shifted in a way when he encountered Jesus. And it impacted the way he saw himself and he saw others. The way we think about and view God really does matter. I stumbled across a few years ago these gospel tracks, and they're called chick tracks. Have you ever heard of these? They're, they're pretty awful, I will have to say. Um, these tracks are little comic strips, and they come in booklets, and they're little booklets, and you're meant to give them to people, and they're supposed to communicate the gospel, which we know is the good news of Jesus, right? I encountered some of these one day, and I started flipping through them. And as I read them, uh, I became increasingly disturbed and concerned that these tracts are being given to people in the name of Jesus. Because as I read them, they didn't sound like good news to me, but they read more like a horror story. I actually encountered them first in Spanish, and I was reading through them, and I didn't understand Spanish very well, and I just saw the pictures, and I was like, this doesn't look good. I was like, I don't know what this is saying, but I don't like what I'm seeing here. This doesn't remind me 
of a loving God. And then I started looking them up online in English, and I started to become even more concerned because they read like a horror story. The image of God in these chick tracks is this detached and angry and bloodthirsty God who really has to kill humans in order to be fully God. However, according to these tracks, if you get on your knees, you play the game right, you pray the prayer, then you avoid this carnage and death and eternal torment. In these tracks, the Christians are portrayed as kind of at war with all the sinners out there in the world, under attack at all times, and the way God is going to deal with these sinners is that he would send them to eternal punishment and hell. It's a pretty dark view of God, right? I believe that if our image of God is wrong, then I think that we will be blind. We'll be unable to see ourselves for who we are, and we're not going to see one another the way we ought to see one another. It's no wonder that we go to war with people, that we hate on others, and we view others with suspicion if that is our view of who God is. Because our image of God matters. For Paul, Paul came to the conclusion that God was all-embracing and boundary-breaking and consumed with love for this world. If we view God as full of wrath and anger, then it's going to be easier for us to be consumed with wrath and anger. But if we view God as being full of love and compassion, then I think it'll be easier for us to have love and compassion in our hearts. Our view of God truly does matter. You may wonder, though, like, how do I know what God is like? God is mysterious and out there, and I can't see God. How do I know what an accurate view of God is? And it takes a lifetime to fully start to live into that and understand more and more about God because God is mysterious. But I will say that we do have an example of what God is like that's fairly plain as day to look at and to see. In Colossians, Paul writes, and I think one of the most important scriptures in the whole Bible, Paul says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And this has influenced Paul to such a degree. Like, if your image of God doesn't look like Jesus, then I think we need to think about that and start to adapt and shift our image of God. Because Paul is telling us that we can't see God. It's hard to know what God is like. But God actually put on flesh and came and walked among us. And Jesus is the image of what God actually looks like. So if we want to know what God is like, then we look toward Jesus. Our uh, values that are embraced, we have six values. And our first and most important one is that we keep Jesus at the center. Because we believe that Jesus is the image and the representation of God for us here on earth. Unfortunately, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that talk about Jesus' life and who he was. We also have all these letters that are ultimately talking about Jesus. We have Acts where the early church is trying to live out um, exactly what Jesus did in their own lives. And so we have all these examples of how we can learn about who Jesus was and what Jesus stood for. Paul prays this prayer over the Christians in Ephesus in another one of his letters. He says, I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, might have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And his love that he has in his heart is unimaginable. Paul argues that it's even unknowable. He says it surpasses knowledge how much Christ loves. It is that great. I love how he gives four different measurements to try to measure it. He says it's wide, it's long, it's high, and it's deep. It is that big. Paul is trying to articulate in words this love that is different than anything that we've ever encountered. We think about in our world the greatest gestures of human love. And Christ's love is so much greater than even that. All of us desire to be loved. All of us want to experience love in our lives. I, I think ultimately, like, our deepest desire is that we would be loved and accepted for who we are. The good, the bad, and the ugly, that we would be known. Like, I, I think all of us want to be known deeply, deep down inside of us, and also know that we're still going to belong and people are still going to accept us if they knew us for who we really are. And that's kind of scary. It's hard to find people like that in your life that love you in that kind of way. And often we're on this quest for that love and acceptance. And, and sometimes we make good choices in pursuit of that love. And sometimes we make bad choices in pursuit of that love and acceptance. When we don't feel love, sometimes we'll, we'll do almost anything to try to feel it and to know it. In America, one of our big problems is it will work really hard. So we'll try to be successful um, and, and so we can be successful and admired and respected. And so we continue that, that race of just building our wealth and building our status so that people will finally look at us and think something good about us. But what you find is the people who've achieved all that power and all that money often aren't, still aren't very happy and satisfied. Often we seek to earn love through, through sexual intimacy. We buy lots of junk and things we don't need hoping that it's going to make us feel better, and we get that kind of jolt of energy as soon as we buy it, and then it goes away really quickly. We often work on our bodies, hoping people will notice us. We try to be perfect, do everything right, so our parents will love us, or maybe so God will love us. We seek to keep the peace at all costs, so we'll never make anyone upset, and people will never not like us. We try to ignore the pain that we feel and the loneliness we feel by medicating ourselves with harmful drugs and substances and even media and technology. You know, it's been said that the human soul cannot endure being unloved. <laughs> and, and I think there is a lot of truth to that. Our desire to be loved is the deepest. It's been uh, declared in, in America that we are experiencing an epidemic of loneliness in this country. And, and I... I don't, for me, it didn't take the Surgeon General to say that. Like, we all know that, I think, because we have experienced that loneliness, and we know so many others that do. And just think about how hard that is to experience that loneliness and feel like you'd have no one in your life that is there to support you and love you. You know, the biblical witness, I believe, is, is pointing to this idea that that search that we're on to experience that love and acceptance and belonging that that search can end when we find and truly experience the love that Jesus has for us. Because the love Jesus offers us is so wide, it's so long, it's so deep, it's so awesome and ma like just majestic that, that it's more than we could ever imagine. 
The love that Jesus has for us is so different than any of the love that we find in this world. Jesus' love truly is without condition, I believe. And, and we don't have, I don't know if we have any relationships like that in the world where we're loved in that way, where it's truly, there's no, no conditions to it. That someone is just going to love you exactly for who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you will do, that it's there and it's consistent. That is incredible love. And it's a free gift that's offered to every single one of us. The mistakes you've made don't make you unlovable. The sins you're dealing with don't make you unlovable. The doubts you're having don't make you unlovable. The fact you feel like you're not living up to the standard that God is setting out for you does not make you unlovable. We believe in our faith that Jesus loves us no matter what. You are accepted and you are loved. And this is really, I believe, the foundation of Paul's message in Romans. Because Paul can ask us to welcome and accept and love each other because God has already done it for us. That we're on that foundation. That is what we build our lives upon, is the love that God has for us. I love how Brennan Manning says it. He says that God has a single, relentless stance towards us, that he loves us. And I wonder if we could lean into that idea of God a little bit more. Because our image of God matters. How we think about God truly matters. God, our loving creator, then also calls us to imitate that love in the way we live in community together. You know, the Christian life, I don't think, is about getting it right all the time. The Christian life is not following a set of rules and being a good little boy, a good little girl, or whatever it is. Like, it's not about that. I think the Christian life is about having a trusting, loving relationship with God. Having that friendship with God. And as my friend Justin Berenger says, we then develop loving and trusting friendships with God's friends. It's cultivating that home here in this community where God is our parent who is loving us and pouring that love on out on us, which enables us to love one another deeply. All that guilt and shame and self-hatred that we can have for ourselves, that loneliness and fear, and all those negative things we believe about ourselves, we can begin to be free of it as we accept more and more the love that God has for us. A poet once said, and I read this in a book, that the desire to be loved is the last illusion. Let it go, and you will be free. And the way I read that is that when we accept the unconditional and reckless and wonderful love from God, then we can stop that striving, that striving to find that love in all other places. We can stop working so hard to be accepted and valued and loved, and we can rest a little bit more because we can rest in those trusting arms of our loving parent in heaven, and then we can truly be free. You know, Paul Clearly in Romans, he challenges the Christians in Rome to love each other. That's ultimately what he wants. That's his goal. He wants them to love one another and accept one another. But before we can love that way, that we can love one another the way God calls us to love, I think that we need to understand that God loved us first, that God loves us. And because God loved us, we, in fact, now can love others. The Bible, the way I read it, teaches that God fills us up with love, and then we are free then to pour it out 
on others. God fills us up, and we pour it out on others. We understand God has given us grace, therefore we can give grace to others. God has done wonderful and compassionate and loving things for us, therefore we can do loving and compassionate things for other people. This is really, I think, the heart of what Scripture is teaching us, that God's love is transformative, and it pours out and changes us, and then we pour that love out on one another. The heart of Romans is God's love. And so Paul paints a picture of a God who looks like compassion and welcome and invitation and grace. And then Paul calls the Christians in Rome, and us, I believe, to be God for each other, to be compassion, to be welcome, to be invitation, to be grace for one another. You know, the gospel, I, th- I think it's good news. I mean, that's what it means. The gospel means good news. It is not supposed to be a horror story that scares us to death, and that's the reason why we give our lives to Jesus, because we're afraid of going to hell forever. I don't believe that's the gospel message. I believe the gospel message is an invitation to something beautiful, to a loving friendship with God, then in turn can result in loving friendships with all of God's friends who are connected to God through Jesus. Jesus entered our world to satisfy that longing to be loved, and he stepped into our world to show us how much he loves us, and then to invite us into that friendship with God and others. And so my hope is as we end this season in Romans, as we're moving into fall and spring, that we could just continue to try to to rest in that love that God has for us. I love that song we sing sometimes, there's lean back in his loving arms. And this idea that we can lean back and rest because we know we're cared for and loved. I think a lot about parenting these days because I'm parenting a a toddler. And, uh, you know, if, if a child grows up knowing that they have loving parents, who are there for them. They can experience all the range of emotions, all the experience, and they know they can be fully themselves. Um, I hear that, that toddlers and kids, they act the worst with the people that they love the most and love them the most, right? It's true. Um, Kai's crazy. He's the worst around Laura because, you know, he knows that that's his, uh, that's his person right there. Um, and it's because, like, kids know that they can be them full selves and experience all the emotions, all the things, when they know they're taken care of and they're loved, and they can rest in that foundation there because they know they can go back to it. They know it's there for them. And, and ultimately, like, God is that for all of us. And so I want you all to know you can be yourself. You can be who you are. You can be on this journey right where you're at, and God sees you and doesn't see you as an imperfect mess. I believe God sees us as a, lo- a beloved child of God. I don't believe God looks at you and sees a, a filthy, rotten sinner. I believe God looks at you and sees a beloved child. Um, I mean, you think about the way a parent in our world today, a good parent does not look at their child and just say, you're rotten, you know, you're the, you're the worst thing ever. You just make all these mistakes all the time. No, a parent looks at their child and sees someone they love so much that they would do anything for them. And think about God. If a parent on earth can do that, as flawed and messed up as we are, think about if God's the perfect parent, how much God loves and what God sees when God looks at each of us. God sees someone he loves deeply and desperately and just wants you to find joy and happiness and fulfillment in your life and wants these things for us. And he's inviting us to come and he's going to help show us and help us to experience that. And so my hope as I enter into the sabbatical is that I can learn better to rest in God's love, um, be reminded that I'm a child of God for, first and foremost above everything else. And my hope for you all as you enter into this new week and move on is that you could just know that God loves you and God's there for you. 
And I think that that can change us uh, from the inside out. You are accepted. You are loved. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.